This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. We are in chapter 50 this morning, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 12, and then Pastor Mark will come and um, extrapolate on those verses. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were, were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizram. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus, his sons did for him as he commanded them. Amen. Welcome, Antioch, all those who are here with us and those who are online. Uh, We just sung the song, The Spirit Gave Us Life, and He Opens Up the Word to Us. And my trust is that He will do that this morning. I think I told Laura to read 1 through 12. That was my mistake. We are going to study 1 through 14 today. So I'll go ahead and finish that passage, verses 13 and 14. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. So, Lord willing, we will finish this book um, next Sunday. I'll never forget Christmas Day 2005 because it was the last time that the four fox men, my dad and his three sons were together, and all of us alive, of course. My younger brother had been estranged from dad for 15 years, and really from the whole family. But he was home that day on Christmas of 2005 because my dad was dying with cancer. The three of us stood around his bed and, and talked and laughed and cried, especially dad, when he talked about leaving his wife, our mother, behind And then like Jacob on his deathbed, uh, my dad then made his best attempt to bless his three sons. He said, I couldn't have asked for three finer sons. I just wish I had done a better job giving encouragement and guidance for you three. But when I was growing up, all I got from my dad was the belt. And I guess I passed some of that on. Number two son, of course, I quickly said, Dad, we deserved every licking we got. And plenty we didn't get. 
Well, Jacob died with his 12 sons gathered around him, and it's a deeply moving scene. Joseph wept, Joseph wept when his father died and embraced and kissed him. And though Moses doesn't tell us, I imagine that the other sons did the same. I would think that they embraced their father. They loved him, although they had been a disappointment to him in many ways. But they wept, they wept as well, I'm sure. And, and I think during the 17 years that they all lived together in Egypt, right? Whole family all together with all the kids and the grandkids growing up together. I think there was some healing that took place between Jacob and his, his sons that had, uh, had given him grief and had lied to him for many years about Joseph. Hey, saints, you know, life is short and eventually it gets a lot shorter So there's really no time for unforgiveness. There's really no time for bitterness. There's really no time for holding grudges uh, with anyone, especially members of our family, our church family and our physical family, but really with anyone else as well. Let's look at this passage today under three main points. Mourning, travel to Canaan, and burial. This mourning period started immediately. And the first command Joseph gave was to the physicians to embalm Jacob. And this would take 40 days. Thankfully, it doesn't take that now. But it took 40 days to embalm a body in Egypt. And, and the, the thought was that Joseph didn't go to the professional embalmers, of which there were many in that country, because he did not want the magic rituals that would attend to the professional embalmers' tactics. He wanted just the doctors to do it without all the magic and the rites. Well, after the embalmment, the, the Egyptians, or during the, the 40 days and even beyond that, the Egyptians wept for Jacob for 70 days. Now, we, we read that, we just gloss over it, no big deal. But that was a significant number of days. It was only two, two fewer than you would have wept and mourned for the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh got 72 days, <laughs> and Jacob was mourned for 70 days by the people of Egypt. It speaks to the love the people of Egypt had primarily for Joseph. But I think during those 17 years, they grew to love Jacob as well. But they loved Joseph, who had led them through the time of feast and famine. Either way, Jacob was greatly honored, and the people of God were greatly loved and blessed in Egypt. The family of Jacob wept and and, and, and when he died, but their mourning period came later when they got to the burial grounds, which we just read about. And why do we mourn the loss of a loved one? Why do we do that? Why do we spend time mourning and grieving the loss of a loved one? And you think, well, that's, that's obvious because we are, are sad. But it's also because, because of who we are. We are made in God's image and we are made to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who Rejoice. Our, our mourning should just be informed by Scripture. Paul said, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who, do have, who have no hope. Those who grieve without hope, he said, don't be like them. He doesn't say don't grieve. He simply informs our grief. He does not command against it. So we are called to grieve. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a, there's a promise there that when we mourn the loss of a loved one, then we will be comforted in that mourning. And we need to look for that comfort. When we're mourning the loss of someone we love, we need to look for that comfort and receive it from the Lord. It comes from God's grace. In fact, the psalmist says God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. There's a promise. Brokenhearted, God heals your, your wounds. God binds those up. He heals those 
who are brokenhearted. As we mourn, we look for his, his blessing of peace and comfort. He comforts us and we look for his healing to come. And it takes time. We don't rush it, but it's promised. Again, Psalm 30. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Uh, there is a time to weep, right? And there's a time to laugh. And there's a time to receive the healing of the Lord and wipe away tears and rejoice in living the life that God still has us here for. My mom's been dead almost a year and a half. I think of her every day and I'm sad every time I think of her. But my life goes on. It was God's plan to take her home and, 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 and you know, ahead of me. And so uh, I continue to walk in the hope that I will see her again. Of course, I know I will uh, because I'll be with the Lord and that's where she is. So they mourned and then they traveled to Canaan. And Joseph asked the household of, it's interesting to me, he goes to the household of Pharaoh to ask permission to go and bury his father. And to me, this is proof that this was not a fiction, it's not a story made up by somebody, because it's the number two man in Egypt, the most second most powerful man. In fact, he had control over all the nation, Pharaoh said, except for my throne, Pharaoh said. You, you have it all except for this throne. I sit here, you don't. But you have control over everything. And yet he went to the household of Pharaoh to ask permission. If this were a made-up story, you know, Jacob would have just uh, tell, tell Pharaoh, we're leaving, you know, we'll see you when we do. But that's not what he did. Even, even as a man of his, of his stature, it speaks again to his humility. And I couldn't help but think about Yogi Bear. Bless his heart. He said, it ain't the heat, it's the humility. So Joseph was a humble man because he attributed everything he was and had to the grace of God. Now, they left Egypt, and, and saints, this was a 240-mile journey. And look at the, the route they took. This is the direct route to, to Mamre. Mamre's around in here. But they went this way. The Bible tells us they went over the other side of the Jordan, and then they came down, making it 240, 250 miles, perhaps 190 additional miles to the journey. Why did they do that? Well, we don't know. But the speculation is that there was something going on here in this area that they didn't want to get involved in. Maybe some kind of, 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 uh, of unrest, political unrest, or something that they did not want to be a part of. Dangerous people perhaps lived there, so they, they circumvented that route. But what an entourage. Did you read that? All of Pharaoh's servants. Poor Pharaoh. He had nobody to take care of him while these guys were gone. All the elders of the household of Pharaoh. But not only that, all the elders of the entire nation traveled with them. One commentator I read said this was because of their great respect for Joseph and also because the Egyptians, they just loved a burial procession, right? That was, that was their jam. I mean, you just have to take a look at the pyramid to know that they're all about honoring the dead. And so this huge entourage, and that doesn't even include the household of Jacob, all the household of Joseph and his brothers went as well. The only ones who stayed behind, the Bible tells us, are the children and the livestock. And we presume some people to take care of those children and livestock. Otherwise, they had a mess to get back to, right? So Joseph led the procession all the way to Atad, Atad, however you say that word, I didn't look it up, a place near Hebron, and Mamre on the west side. And there they stopped at the threshing floor near 
where the burial site was. And verse 10, Joseph made a mourning for his father seven days. I like what Luther wrote about this. Martin Luther said, there's no burial recorded in the scriptures quite as honorable as this or with such wealth of detail. Jesus' burial doesn't have as much detail. And then David Gusick. This was no doubt a day of rededication of the sons of Israel to the God of Israel, the God of the great covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their dedication to the God of Israel would be tested over the next many hundred years, but would survive. So the whole company, not just the Jews, not just the Hebrews, but the whole company, including the Egyptians, entered into this time of mourning for seven years. Days And they, they made such an impression on the Canaanites who lived among them that the Bible says they remarked and said, you know, what a, what a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. They couldn't tell the difference between the Egyptians and the Hebrews because the Hebrews had adopted the Egyptian clothing perhaps. And so they all looked like Egyptians and they just said, what, a, what an amazing outpouring of grief by these Egyptians. We will rename this place. And they did. You know, I, was, I just read a book called Destiny of the Republic. And, I, you know, I didn't know hardly anything about James Garfield. Anybody know much about Garfield, right? He was, he was president in 1880. He was elected in, in 1880. And he wasn't even on the ballot. I mean, during the Republican, uh, uh, you know, he was a union general had fought in the war. And he, now he's in the House of Representatives for, for several years. He's a young man. And during the Republican National Convention, they had these, these candidates they were going after, like Ulysses, Ulysses Grant wanted to run for a third time, and people were going, I don't think so. His first two were pretty bad. And then Tecumseh Sherman's son wanted to run. Anyway, they, they, he got up to give this speech. I'm telling you the story of this book. You should read the book. He got up to give a speech at the Republican National Convention, Kind of like, who was it that spoke at a convention and then a few years later he was nominated for president? Well, anyway, during the convention, he gave the speech and at the end he says, so what do we want? And in mass, they all stood up and they said, we want Garfield. <laughs> and so they put his name on the ballot and he got elected to president in 1880. March of 1880, he was, uh, was inaugurated. They didn't do the inauguration in January. They gave longer time for a transition of power and then in July, I believe it was July, maybe in June, I can't remember the day, he was shot by this lunatic man who, told, who said God told him to assassinate the president. And so the book is about the very brief presidency of James Garfield and the life of this man and, and why he did what he did and his eventual execution. But... You talk about a funeral procession. Just in the few months that, that Garfield had been in office, he had made a difference in the country before he was shot. And then, of course, after he was shot, the people's hearts went to him. And there was a, a, a funeral procession that you would not believe. And people standing in line uh, for miles and miles and miles to see this, this hearse being pulled back to Washington, D.C. from the place where Garfield had died. He had gone to hopefully recover and the sad thing about the story is that the bullet would not have killed Garfield. It lodged beneath his pancreas. He would have lived had he been born, or had he been shot 15 years later when they finally started using antisepsis. Remember the guy named Lister who, who figured out that if you use antisepsis in the wounds that people won't die as quickly or at all? And it was being practiced in England. 
and it had been poo-pooed by the doctors in America. They were saying, what are you talking about, stuff you can't see? We need to kill stuff we can't see. We can't see it. We don't need to worry about it. And he would, have, he would have lived, except they kept sticking their fingers and probes with germs on them into his body to try to find the bullet, and the, the, the sepsis killed him. Aren't you glad I told you that story? <clears throat> I just want to make the sermon a little longer, because this is the last point. Let's talk about the burial. I love verse 12. By the way, the book is called Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard, M-I-L-L-A-R-D, and she is amazing. I'm going to read her next book. Uh, she has one on Roosevelt, Teddy, and one on um, Ben Duckett's favorite person. Who would that be, Gina? She doesn't want to tell me. Winston Churchill. I love verse... Oh, she's in the nursery. I love verse 12. Thus the sons did for him as he had commanded them. These same sons, at least the ten older ones, who so often opposed their father in life, honored their father in death. And Jacob was not a perfect parent. And none of us are, and none of us ever will be. Perfect parents or perfect grandparents, or should we live so long, perfect great-grandparents. But he deserved the respect and honor the sons fully gave him here. They honored his final wish. They traveled many miles to bury him in this cave of Machpelah. Remember the cave of Machpelah? This is the one piece of property that the Hebrews own. Because Abraham... Jacob's grandfather purchased it, right? He bought this piece of property, bought the the cave and the land around it. And even though God had told Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, you will have all of this land. This is the promised land. They didn't own it yet. The only thing they, they laid claim to was this burial ground. And that's where they took Jacob and that's where they were going to bury him. All of the land had been promised them. But at this point in history, this is the only plot that they had. So after they buried Jacob, Joseph and his brothers made their way back to Egypt where they would remain and those who came after them for more than 400 years. And that's another story. It's the next one in your Bible. Flip over to the next page and you'll see Exodus. And that's the story of the 400 years or really the end of the story of the 400, end of the 400 years when they leave that place. But consider with me that this journey from Egypt up to Canaan, the promised land that Joseph and his brothers took, was simply a rehearsal, right? It's a rehearsal because there's going to be two more times when there is a journey to the promised land. You know, what, you know about one of them, right? The first journey was not, not led by... Uh, uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph. It will be uh, the first journey was led by Joseph, but the the next one's going to be led by Moses. You remember the story? God spoke to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron. He confirmed his message to the Pharaoh with plagues: "Let my people go, do it. Let my people go." And when the Pharaoh finally relented, God's people left Egypt on their way to Canaan, the Promised Land, by way of the Red Sea. Look at. Exodus 13:19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And we'll look at that next week, but Joseph did the same thing that Jacob had done to him. He says, don't you leave me here. You're going to leave one day. God's promised you're not going to stay here forever. 
God's people have a land. They're going to it. And when you go, you better take me with. Now, his bones were probably in an ossuary, a box. And, it, and they had kept those bones with them for 400 years in, in, uh, in slavery. And then they kept them with them as they traveled for 40 years in the wilderness until they finally were able to cross over the Jordan. They took Joseph with them. That's the next time there's a great journey to the promised land. The last one hadn't happened yet, folks. And we're going to be part of it. We didn't get to be a part of the first two. That would have been cool. I'm glad I didn't live back then. But we get to be part of the third one. It's going to be homecoming. It will not be led by Jacob or Joseph, but by Jesus, the namesake of Joseph. Both means the same thing. He who saves. And he splits the skies and he calls the dead in Christ to rise from their graves. And then he calls the, those who are alive in Christ, if we're still here when he comes back, to meet him and them in the air. And then we go to the promised land. Not to some little fertile crescent in the Mideast, but to the new heavens and the new earth. And not just so we can live there for a while and then die, but so we will be there forever and ever. Isaiah prophesied about this at the end of his book. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And then Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Paul, Scott read it at Ray's memorial service. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Promised land has been given to us. What can we take away from this passage? Number one, mourning is an important place to go when we lose loved ones, but it's not meant to be a place to stay. The fullness of joy we have in Christ, that's the place we live. That's the place to stay. Mourn and then wipe. You know, I remember when, when David mourned, right? He was mourning for... Um, his, his son that God had told him he was going to lose because of his sin with Bathsheba. And, and David was mourning for the son and crying out to God and he wouldn't eat. And finally when they told him the son has died, he'd already done his mourning. He got up and washed his face and said, bring me some food. They said, why are you, why, why are you wanting to eat now? He said, because you know he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. In other words, he's in a better place. I'll see him again. My mourning period is over now. He was crying out to the Lord uh, in advance of his son's death. Well, we mourn the loss of loved ones, but that's not where we're supposed to live. And finally, the death of a loved one in Christ can and should be a time of celebration. also offers, by the grace of God, a time to come together as a family to honor the dead and give thanks for the living, even to be healed as a family in those broken places. I can honestly say I came to a place of peace with my father on that Christmas day that I had not known up, up until that point. You've heard my story about my relationship with my father before. But there was a, there was a, a peace that, that was established that day. And, and I think even for my younger brother as well, although we never talked about it. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for this story. Uh, as we see the finish line, we're almost there. We're thankful, Lord, for the continued uh, picture that we've seen all through this book of you 
your love for your people, your grace and your mercy uh, for sinners like us, uh, for a promise uh, that you've given us who are in Christ, that, that this is not our home that we're simply passing through, but you're preparing a place for us, a promised land that we can't even begin to imagine how glorious and how wonderful it will be, most of all because we will be with you. And we look forward to that. And help us, Lord, to live our lives with, with, uh, uh, with that in mind, every day looking forward to that day, but every day living fully in this day with the joy of the Lord, not wasting any time with bitterness and unforgiveness and brokenness, but living as people who have been healed. You've healed the brokenhearted. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.